Episode six. So we passed a milestone. Uh, five episodes. This is number six. Um, this is kind of a continuation of sorts because some things were left out, and we needed to get into some other things. I felt in terms of relationships. So this is going to be relationship part two. We're going to talk about. <laughs> uh, I want to speak on interracial relationships and some issues with that, and also. Dig a little more into toxic relationships and um, friendships, but um, yeah, we're going to get into that. You, you hear uh, my co-host making sounds because she has a lot of experience with toxic relationships. Well, one, I know we're not singling me out. <laughs> Shall we recap part well, one? I'm, how, how do I rephrase that? She is still involved in a toxic <laughs> relationship. I'll say it that way. Okay. My toxic relationship is history, and if you're talking past tense now, but you know, some people are stubborn and don't listen. So, I'm not suffering. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, okay, so I'm gonna get the interracial relationship thing out of the way. That's I wanted to talk about that. The reason why I wanted to talk about that is because. Something I see a lot of online, I hate this. Okay, so first of all, there's a narrative of, um, that I've seen where um, black women are depicted in a certain way of where anytime they see, like for instance, um, a brother and like someone who's not black, especially like a white girl, then they're like very negative. That's the depiction you see, right? Which I feel is a false depiction because not everybody is like that. A lot of people just don't care. But also, I feel like the women who are taking that aren't being seen in the right light because it's like they're being shown almost like they're jealous when I think it's not really that. It can be like um, a side effect of trauma that they have gone through because of a similar situation. So even though they may not know that person, um, that specific person, it may bring back experiences that they've had in their life. And I think that's important, but it's something that's not talked about enough because while, okay, so I'm, first of all, like, okay, I believe love is love, so. I've dated many different types of women. And I feel like if you want to date somebody, whether it's in your race or outside of your race, you should be able to. My problem comes in with there are certain brothers who feel the need to not only date outside their race, but elevate the person who's outside of their race above the women within their race. That's my problem. It's like look at my white woman trophy type of situation. And that's mm -hmm. where a lot of this stems from. You see like athlete has a, how many times we see this athlete, high school sweethearts, black, goes to college still with the black girl, gets the NFL or NBA contract, now all of a sudden 
he don't know her anymore, and now he's with Molly on SportsCenter. Molly. <laughs> and maybe he left her at home with two kids, and she put everything aside to support his dream, and now she's just by the wayside somewhere, and he's starting a whole new life with this one over here. But you see that a lot, right? It's, I feel like too much of the onus is put on the black woman in that, in that and it shouldn't be. And because of that, sometimes you get maybe a situation where a brother isn't having that mind frame, you know, that state of mind where he's going to elevate this girl. He just happens to be in love with this girl. And then he'll get the negative energy because of the other brothers who are doing these things. So he gets kind of caught in the crossfire of it, too. But it all stems back to those brothers who are like, so it gets so bad that you see some of them on social media saying things, like outright saying, this is why I got with a white girl, because black girls are like this and this and this and this. And like, why do you feel the need to put down black women? Like, I, I've never understood that, especially just because black women have stood by black men who stood by like just their race in general. I mean, when it comes to voting, black women come out far more than anybody else, any other demographic. I mean, it's just, as long as they've been fighting, as hard as they've been fighting, they don't need to be fighting within their own race with these negative, like, thoughts and insinuations and stuff like that. So that's like problematic to me. And it also empowers sometimes the white girl to also then think negatively because you see that too on social media where the white girl's got cornrows and, and talking a certain way and walking a certain way and going after black women when they say something about, you know, going into their comment section and saying negative things because they feel like they have the authority now because they got this black man behind them supporting it. I mean, I saw one the other day, girl is in the store, calls the black woman the N-word, and then she's surprised when she's, <laughs> when she's getting dragged out of the facility. Mink, mink. And then, what do you see? As soon as she gets dragged out of the establishment, here comes her black boyfriend to try to break up the fight. Okay, so now we know why she thinks it's okay for her to say this word and act this way. It's... It's just, I just hate it. That's, that's really all I have to say about it. I wish it would change. I wish it would be addressed more. But I feel like it's so much easier to just put it all off on like black women and just say like they're jealous, they're envious, they're just hateful or whatever else type of situation. Thoughts? Um, you're trying to get me in trouble, that's all I think. Um, so for me personally, um, I've never really been in an interracial relationship. Truthfully, you've only been in one relationship. Yeah, but I've never even talked to someone outside my race. <laughs> so, um, well, the relationship I was in, he was half white, but that didn't count. He acted more black than anything. I usually forgot he was half white until I was all his daddy. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, for me. 
love is love because I I do believe that there are some white people out there that genuinely love people just for who they are and the race isn't a factor and they're not ignorant. They don't try and step over bounds just because they think they can. Um, but also I have witnessed a very toxic interracial relationship. Um, my dad and his ex-girlfriend, my half-sister's mother, that relationship in itself was extremely toxic. And when it was finally over, the things she used to say to my dad and the fact that she came out of her face and said to him when she was trying to take him to court for child support that I'm white, I'll get what I want. I, I don't, like, I'll admit, when, when my cousins and stuff be bringing home white women, I'll just be staring at them because I'm like, first of all, Y'all already make bad life decisions. Half y'all bang. You either, my cousins are either blood or they're crip. Both of, all, most all of them bang in one way or another. So I'm like, you're already not making good life decisions. Now you out here fornicating with someone who, if the cops come around, are you sure that she's going to defend you? Or is she gonna leave you high and dry to save her own self? But no, when you tell them that, they freak out and they're, oh, you're just a hater. This is why I don't like black women and all that other ignorant stuff that unfortunately black men say. Um, I think the one line that I have heard oh so many times growing up in a predominantly white town that I've heard the black boys say to the black girls is, oh, you're so pretty for a black girl as opposed to what? Like, you could have just stopped it. Oh, you're so pretty. The for a black girl part, nix that. 86 it. Stop saying stuff like that. I feel like... So there was this thing on social media for a while. I don't know if anybody remembers. I'm a Twitter head, so I'm always on Twitter. Black Twitter is a great time, okay? If you are not involved in black Twitter, you need to get involved. It's a great time. But... um. So they went through this phase where they were calling black men the weakest links because they would constantly, you know, be a pick me and defend white women when we would be saying how they're being inappropriate or they're doing things they have no business. And I'm just like, why are you riding so hard for someone that wouldn't even pour water on you if you were on fire? Because I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that there aren't white women that would love and care for a black man, genuinely. I'm just saying the chances of that being the case in this day and age without some ulterior motive is a little slim to none. So, and even so, like I know there's a few white women that I know that I was friends with at one point in time that used to date nothing but black men and they would do sideways things. Like when they would break up, all of a sudden he's every type of be in this and he ain't that and why was I messing with you that's why nobody listen ma'am you wasn't saying all that about two months ago when you was all over it so I'm gonna need you to pipe down I just I think the whole thing is very ignorant I just I don't care who black men date I truly don't I just need you when you decide to date those people that aren't black women to keep black women out your mouth that's for one for two, I need you to then chin check 
I'm not saying hit them, but you need to cuss them out so hard. It feels like you hit them. When they out, when your counterpart, your partner that is not of the black race wants to be out here disrespecting black women for absolutely no reason. Yeah. We are the most disrespected group. And the fact that black men are some of the ones that disrespect us the most, I think is what's most hurtful. And why we flip off the handle the way we do when they do certain things. It's like, I think another thing though is, I feel like more thought needs to go into, like again, love is love, be in whatever relationship you want to be in, but there's a lot of black men who go into these relationships and they're only thinking with a singular part. And they don't think about all of the implications of the situation because at the end of the day, well, no, you don't have to date only within your race. If you, if I, okay, if you're a black man dating a black woman, there are certain things, certain situations, certain life experiences that are just shared and don't need to be discussed. However, once you go outside of that, there are conversations that need to be had. There is information that needs to be obtained. You need to research. You need to find out who that person is at a core level. And a lot of these guys aren't doing that. They're just like, oh, well, I'm physically attracted and whatever. I'm going to go down that way. She's great in the sheets, so I'm just going to yeah. lock this one down. She says all of these things because, of course, she does because she wants to be with you. Not, let me go see who her friends are. Let me go check her social media history. Let me go ask questions about people who know her. Let me dig a little deeper. Let me spend a little more time finding out who she actually is before I just jump into this situation. And then those are the ones that are surprised or the ones that we hear about later on that go missing because they've got themselves into the situation and, you know, Brandy isn't who you thought she was. Who was that guy that ended up getting killed by his girlfriend and she went and sat at the bar covered in his blood? Yeah, I don't But remember. he was dogging black women on Twitter. Yeah. But we were the same ones until we found that. That was all trying to get this girl crucified. Yeah. Because we were like, what is wrong with you? That's the thing. They fall into this thing where they're only thinking about their situation and they'll do all these extra things to elevate this person. And then what? I mean, even the ones that aren't doing that, even the ones that aren't bad-mouthing black women, you still need to do your research. You still need to put thought into it because it only takes one argument, one argument, one disagreement to change that person's character. And now all of a sudden you're in a situation that you don't want to be in. All of a sudden she's, you know, you guys are arguing in a shopping mall and she's, you know, calling you outside of your name and yelling rape or whatever else. And then here comes the cops. Guess what? <laughs> she's going home and you're not. So it's like they don't think about these things, though. They just dive headfirst into the situation. And it's, it's like... And it's not even like a youth thing because you see all ages, guys of all ages doing this. So it's not even just a young and dumb situation. I've seen like 
40 year olds, 50 year olds on here and you're still having the same mindset. And then you wonder why, like, oh, I didn't know she was like that or I didn't think that this would happen. And then that's when you want everybody within the community to come and support you because you were done wrong. And the thing is, people will because we're like that as a community, but you bear some responsibility for putting yourself in that situation and ignoring everything else about it because you just wanted to jump in and not think about it and you just didn't think you needed to and you just thought you knew better. Um, that's essentially what I wanted to say about that part of it, but... Um, What's the next talking point, Jay? This was, this was his idea. Usually I plan these things out, but I was at work today when we came up with this idea. I ain't have time. <laughs> okay, so relationships, all right. So one thing I wanted to talk about was when I was talking about the relationships that I had, I didn't go into one, um, well, a couple aspects of something. So which one? I have. I just want y'all to know, Jay. Jay was in. My family finally listened to the, the relationships episode the other day, and they looked at me and they were like, "Both of y'all. That's why y'all friends. Because you can't pick people properly." <laughs> Who said this? <laughs> My family. Oh. When they finally listened to the relationships podcast the other day. So, okay, I have the one girl that I. Um, showed you the pictures of, and um, you said she was gorgeous or whatever. So the I have model? a regret in that situation, and I have a regret in one other situation. So in that situation... Okay, oh, so that's what you said. Yeah. Talk about regrets. There so here's the thing. I don't have a lot of relationship regrets. I have two. Okay. Because unfortunately, I have continuously been on the bad side of things like where like I was I know I put all my effort and everything I had into a situation and the person just didn't or they turned out to be somebody completely different or they you know those types of things so I have no regrets because I knew that it just didn't work out and it was nothing that I did for it not to work out right mm -hmm. however the situation with the girl that I was um talking to when I was a Jehovah's Witness, my biggest regret is the way that it ended because I was on my way out of the hall. Like, So within the Jehovah's Witness um, religion, there's this thing called um, disfellowship, and then there's um, reproach or whatever. And um, one of my friends was being disfellowshipped for some reasons, and I was supposed to be um, reproached, which isn't the same. It's basically a reproach is more like a suspension. So basically, you just kind of go away for a month or whatever they say. This fellowship means you are excommunicated. It means all the people within that are your friends. And I literally mean all the people that are your friends because when you're a Jehovah's Witness, you're taught that anybody outside of the Kingdom Hall is worldly and you should not associate with them. So you cut off ties with friends and family members who are not within the Kingdom Hall and you only associate with people that are in the hall. So now when you get out. disfellowshipped, when you get disfellowshipped, literally overnight, you have no one. You're just, they don't, they will see you in the streets look at you, 
divert their eye contact and not even say hello to you. That sounds like a cult. <laughs> it's very cult-like, but that's how it works. So my friend, my best friend at the time, was going to be disfellowshipped, and I had this conversation with the elders and everything, and they told me I was going to be in repose for some stuff, which I will be getting into in detail whenever I write this book. Um, he taking too long, y'all. I want to read. And one thing that they told me, though, besides, you know, just whatever, think about what you did for a month, and then you can come back or whatever, is you can't associate with him because he's going to be disfellowshipped. And I couldn't do that. So I ended up just leaving and not coming back. So then, of course, they will disfellowship me because I just never came back. Although I did kind of come back. I would come back like when I was trying to figure out what I was doing once a year. I would come back for like the memorial of Christ's um, death um, for that service. And then they would always want to pull me in a room to talk to me and see if I would come back or whatever. I'm like, no. Why would I come back to this toxic situation? But anyway, um, that's what happened there. But because all of this was happening so quickly, like literally we were told all of this in the meeting, and the way things worked there was just like a church where gossip, everything spreads around so quickly. I had to have this conversation with her quickly over the phone because there were people there like as we were leaving, and I know like this is gonna be back to her before the next time I see her. So my big regret is the way it ended because I literally had to have this really quick phone conversation with her basically saying like, I can't see you anymore, I'm leaving the hall. She was in the hall, so I know she's not leaving, and then like, it's over, and I'm sorry kind of a thing real quick within like 10 minutes, basically. And it was just a really like, horrible situation, but then it was like, I felt at that moment, at how old was I, 19, 20? I felt like at that moment that like I had no other recourse. Like either I say this in a really quick conversation or the next time I talk to her, she's already heard all the stuff from everybody else. And then she's probably not even gonna, she may not even wanna talk to me because at this point I may be disfellowshipped or whatever else. So I didn't really know how to handle it. But afterwards I felt like I just, that was really crappy and I don't like it, how it ended, if that makes sense. Yes, but I have a question. Yeah. So let's say you ran into her today, right now. She's single, you're single. Would you give her another chance? Or would you, do you think she'd give you another chance? I don't, I wouldn't expect her to give me another chance because of the, how that was. But if she did, would you take it? I would talk to her. I don't know where we are. Well, yeah, it's been years, but I'm yeah. saying, would you take the course of action to then pursue that again? thinking over there because I'm at a weird place in my life so because of my last relationship and having to bring my son into the situation after we spent some time developing our relationship and her not hanging out with him and then all of a sudden us moving in and kind of merging our families and then it not working out and then us separating and like him going from only child to now all of a sudden he has these two 
kids there who were like kind of his brothers, and now he doesn't have them there. We're not in the house. We're not together. I kind of had this thing in my head where without saying it, I've kind of just convinced myself that I'm not even going to really pursue anything until like he graduates high school. Which I know may sound crazy to some to some people, but it was so it was so much that I really yes. don't want to put him through that situation. I mean, from what he said to me the other day when you were standing right there, I could tell. But I don't think that you should, yes, you should put your son first. I totally agree with that. But I don't think you should cut yourself off completely. I, you, believe it or not, this is coming from a child's point of view. You want, you, you want to see your parents happy. Like um, my mom, for instance, she was single majority of my childhood because my father was with my half-sister's mother. So when she started dating the person she dated before she got back with my dad, and seeing her happy, seeing someone like court her and buy her flowers and open doors for her and take her on dates and seeing her walk around with a gigantic smile on her face. It makes your kids happy to see you happy. So I, I'm not saying do it right now. I'm not saying jump 10 toes down, moving with the person, with their kids, your kids, Brady Bunch. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is maybe start off just friends. And then once you've established a solid friendship, I'm talking like, two, three years at this point. Y'all know each other well enough. You've had conversations on several bases. You, you understand each other's mindset. Then introduce Jordan to her as just your friend. But I feel like people's problem is they never establish a friendship first before the relationship. And then when that relationship starts to fail, there's nothing for you to fall back on. Because that, <laughs> my one and only relationship, that was our problem. We never established the friendship first because he was always trying to do what men do. And I was trying to get into a relationship. We never established a friendship. We didn't start establishing a friendship until way after that thing turned super toxic. I mean, granted now, if you take everything else out the picture, our friendship is great. We communicate great as friends. When you start bringing that other stuff in there is when it starts getting messed up because we start going back to the mindset we have when everything first started when the friendship didn't exist. So all I'm saying is. Well, the problem though is I've always so I've always taken it from a point of friendship. I've always everybody that I've ever been in any type of intimate relationship with has been my friend first. Always. However, where I am now because of my time, like literally like all my time is taken with work or my son. So you know, even when we hang out, we hang out and he's there. So if I'm in a situation and I'm hanging out with her as for that two, three year period of time, he's gonna be there. But if it's it's not starting from the same level as if it was a stranger. If it was a stranger, then it literally is, this is just my friend, I have no aspirations for going anywhere. If it does happen, oh wow, look at what happens. But it's somebody that I've already had a relationship and had feelings for, so I'm not going to be looking at it in the same way as if it was just a stranger that I had a friend, you know what I'm saying? So it's that, that's the part that's hanging me up. But that being said, if I didn't run into it, I would take the phone number, I would have some conversations, and I would see where it went. I don't know if I would be able to go, what level I would be able to take it to, but I would certainly, have some conversations, I will say that. And it wouldn't be a situation where I'm like, no, because 
basically it only comes from that, just worrying about like how it would be like for him more so than me. Because me, if I'm just thinking me, then yeah, of course. Let's have a conversation and see where this is because nothing went, it ended because of outside situations. Nothing that she did caused it to end. So there was nothing bad there that, you know, nothing It's just the way there. it ended. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's the regret. It's just the way it ended. Um, the other one with the girl that I'm talking about. Um, so, like, that regret is just because that regret, it's funny, is actually getting into the relationship. The reason why is because, so we were friends for quite some time before anything happened. And um, I was in a really bad place mentally. I had depression issues. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. I was like a lot of stuff going on at home. I didn't want to be there with my mother and just all of her issues. So I was kind of just bouncing around from place to place, living in motels. And then like I started living in the city and stuff like it's just a bunch of stuff. So like I was in a space where I really like, I didn't really think much of myself and I really needed a lot of attention and a lot of just like um, self-assurance and things from other people. And when she came in and, you know, we were friends and doing stuff like, first of all, the first moment that I saw her. So my friend worked at a restaurant and at first, before I moved to the city, I was just going there to visit him at this restaurant in the village. And as I'm sitting there at a table, just eating my food, I look up and I saw her. And it's crazy because this place had like one door, one really weird odd shaped door. I forget what the restaurant was called. And that was the like key feature of it, the, the unbalanced door that it had. And there wasn't much lighting in this establishment, uh, uh, natural lighting. Mm -hmm. But the sun was coming in through the door so it was literally like one of these like Hollywood like rom-coms or whatever or something. The sun is shining like a silhouette behind her when she's like sitting at this table like smiling and having conversation with this table. And I sat there and stared at her until she like walked away out of sight. And I was just, and he comes back over and before he can say anything else, I'm just like, who is that? And he's like, who? And I, I'm like, who is that? The girl that walked, he didn't, this whole thing. So he introduces me, that's his friend or whatever. And like, we all started hanging out. But at first I didn't go into anything, but I was had the thought in my head the whole time. Like, I really wonder what her situation is. I want to go out. And then I found out she was single. And eventually I started asking her out. The reason why there's a regret is because she told me, we had a conversation, she said to me, I really like you, but I have a lot of stuff going on right now and I just don't think that I should be in a relationship right now. She told me this. She was upfront. She gave me the information that I needed, that I should have taken in. But in the space that I was in, this neediness, this 
feeling a certain way about myself and not wanting to be alone and just wanting to just get things moving, mm-hmm. I kept pursuing until eventually she just said, okay. And we were dating. And then it all just like went downhill from there because everything, because the space that I was in, nothing that she can give me at that particular time would have been enough. Because it's like, we would be out in public and maybe she would be, maybe one day she was holding my hand and we're walking down the street. But then the next day, she's having a conversation, I'm over here, she's over there, and then now I'm like, whoa, we should be walking closer. We should be holding hands right now, or we should be like sitting next to each other when we're at this table, or we should be, you know, like talking after this, but she's gonna go hang out with us, you know what I mean? So you were needy. That's what I said, that's what I started off. But it was like you you were beyond needy. You was that's not nice. Anyway. <laughs> but I looked at it in a negative thing, so it was like it was always because I was in a you know when you're in a depressed state, everything is a, has a negative thing. So it's like if she's not calling me, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something else is going on. Or um, one day I was leaving for the train and she's has to, like, she can't stay with me the whole time because she has to go meet another friend and go, because he's coming into town, but it's a guy. Who's this guy? You know? Like that. Just automatically. No reason to think anything. She's never given me any reason, but automatically I'm in a negative space. What's going on? Maybe that's why she's not calling me. Maybe this is why. You know what I mean? It's just like, yes. So that's where I was, and the space that I was in, to where basically I just kind of like pushed her away and it ended very quickly. Um, we ended up like later on catching up and talking and it, we're like friends now and stuff. And you know, things worked out for her. She ended up getting married or whatever and stuff like that. Um, and <laughs> um, so I don't regret it ending, but I regret how it began, if that makes sense now. So those are my two regrets in terms of relationships. Um, do I have any regrets? I don't. I wait, do. Wait, 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 wait. So I don't know if she's even gonna listen. So yeah, if you're listening and you know who you are, I apologize for being crazy. Okay. <laughs> Um, he's a great guy, by the way, guys. I know you guys listen to this, and you're like, I'm not like that now. You but both are some I was lunatics. Very bad. We're not lunatics. Uh, we just love hard, and people don't appreciate it. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, my regrets with dude. I think so. One for sure is I wish I had established a friendship first. I wish I wasn't so headstrong into trying to be in a relationship, and I wish I had taken my time to get to know him. Because despite all the stuff he has done, he is a great person. Like, now we can have conversations about just about anything. We'll laugh, crack jokes, he'll send me memes, I send him memes, he sends me TikToks, I send him TikToks. We have these perfectly fine, like, when we're just focused on establishing a friendship and maintaining said friendship, we're fine. So he, it's a good time when we're just friends. So I wish 
I had made that a point first because I think if then after the friendship was established, if we then decided to pursue something more afterwards, probably would have been a lot healthier than what it was. Um, I also regret, um, I didn't mention this in the relationships episode, but after his dad had passed away, there was a point in time where he had asked me to try again. And at that time, as you guys know, um, I had gotten a car accident, grand godfather passed away, aunt passed away, best friend passed away, his dad passed away, all in eight months. At that time, I made up an answer, which was about 5% true, but that wasn't the bulk of why I said no. It was more so because I was terrified. And I was like, I mean, granted at this point in time, we do have a healthy friendship and we do communicate with each other now without screaming at each other or being complete jerks. But I'm scared to say yes, because if I put my all into this again and then you leave, what am I gonna do this time? So I lied, I essentially lied to him and told him it was for another reason. And have you ever seen someone in the moment when you break their heart like you're making direct eye contact with them and you see their heart shatter into a million pieces while you're looking in their eyes. That's how he looked at me when I said no to him. And it felt like while I'm watching his heart shatter, it's like someone ripped my heart out of my chest at the same time. Because as, as bad as you treat me, I don't like hurting people. As mean as you are to me, as crappy as you may make me feel, um, as worthless as you may make me feel, I don't like people feeling that way because I know how it feels that way. So no matter what you do to me, you if you come in contact with me and you spend any length of time around me, you will never be able to leave me and say I didn't care for you or I didn't love you or I didn't go out of my way to make sure I didn't hurt you. If I did hurt you, it was never intentional. It was probably me just trying, thinking I'm defending you or defending myself, ended up hurting you in the process. It was never something that I deliberately set out to do. So when I did that to him, I never told him this. So if he decides to listen to this podcast now and he uh, hears this, I'm sorry. Love you dearly, but I'm sorry. Um, after that happened, it uh, for a long time, every time I looked him in his eyes, I would see that exact same look on his face. He wouldn't even be making that face. But that's what his face would morph into when I was staring at him. Because... That is a, a look you can, never, you can never erase. That is a sight that you can never remove from your mind. Like every time I, even sometimes at night, if I'm praying for him, if I go to sleep or praying for, like, you know, I go down my list of people I pray for, and he may be, if he's on the list that day, well, he's always on the list, but if it's something specific for him that I'm pay, praying for and I'm spending extra time, other than the, the general, oh, protect this person and make sure they make it through their day tomorrow if, if you're giving them another day, I can, sometimes as I'm closing my eyes, that's the face I see when I close my eyes. And it hurts me so bad, and I have never told him this because I know if I tell him, it's gonna end up having a very uncomfortable conversation that I'm sure needs to be had. I just don't wanna have it right now. And that is my regret. I wish I was honest with him and told him the real reason why I said no, because I think everything, everything would have turned out different. Some reason in my head, I'm envisioning that, like, if he doesn't hear this, um, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if <laughs> is this is a conversation you're going to have um, 
on your wedding night or when you're sitting across from him at the uh, divorce proceedings? <laughs> I'm just saying because Jay just like it's it doesn't matter. Like this is I see this train heading off the cliff, but she's just determined to stay on this train. But it's 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 no, that's her decision. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I hope we don't have to have the conversation at all, truthfully, because that's going to be a real uncomfortable conversation because I have never lied to him ever, except for that one time. So if he finds that out, he's going to stare at me, and then it's going to start the, you have never lied to me before. Why did you feel like that time was appropriate? And then I'm going to have to explain to you that I was terrified, and Mama raised the itch then that moment, and I didn't know how to tell you. I don't want to do that. I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to admit that I was a punk. Um, for those listening right now, if you also follow me on TikTok, I am um, doing a video uh, recording of a little bit of this now. Um, of course, the camera is only facing me because my co-host um, is still um, in, <laughs> in the, the witness, witness protection, protection program. program. <laughs> <laughs> so you can only hear the voice. But um, yeah, so I'm just going to post this as just so you guys can see a little bit of what goes on if you haven't yet subscribed or checked out our podcast. But these are the types of conversations that we have. Subscribe, friends. Subscribe. Yes. It's a great time. <laughs> and we have a lot of content lined up. It's crazy. There's there's a lot to go over. We just need our parents to cooperate. They get on our nerves. Yes, because we've been trying to do this Generations episode forever. My son is beating me over the head because he wants to do it. <laughs> He's ready. And the parenting thing is like we can't get them to like, I don't know. We got to get them in here you know, so we can just you, do this. I think all ch anybody who's a child knows you get to a certain point where you have to parent your parent. <laughs> That's where we're at right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That's where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's the, um, do I have any other regrets? No. Those are my two. What else? Well, you already kind of went into the other part of this, which is toxic relationships. Um, hey, yo. We're not going to keep... I'm not the only one with a toxic relationship here. Well, I'm saying you started it up. <laughs> You're the only one that's currently in a toxic relationship. Because that's the other part of it, friendships. We're talking about friendships, too. Friendships can be, even though this is more than a friendship, but you keep saying that. Anyway. It is a friendship right now. Yeah. We know, what, like I said, the train, I see it, whatever. Anyway. He's the one driving it, anyway. <laughs> Ma'am. Chaos together. The train is still making its stops. You had opportunities <laughs> to get off this train, but you are holding on and riding along to the end. So. Ride or die. Anyways. <laughs> that's a choice, ride or die. You don't have to do both. Anyway, um, so I think, you know what, though? I think um, it's funny because a couple of things. I think there's different levels of toxicity, um, and some are easier to recognize than others, and some are more acceptable than others, and some people actually just crave that. I think whether they're honest with themselves or not, there are some people that just straight out tell you like that's what they want. 
they're just all about the drama and conflict. And then there's other people that will pretend like they want like a good, stable situation, but then they turn down every stable situation that comes their way and they're fixated on the toxicness that was in their past that they ended for a reason. So there's like, there's levels to this basically. I don't think every situation is the same or everybody's way of thinking is the same. And there are some tiny red flags and some, you know, huge car dealership size Red flags. I feel like he's throwing shade at me, but it's okay. I'm gonna let him rock. I'm I didn't rock. say it was. <laughs> I ain't, I ain't gonna do him dirty. It's okay. <laughs> I still love you, Jay, but just know, I'm gonna get my lick back. The, you know the Rorschach test. What? The Rorschach test. It's um, ink blotches on a piece of paper or a cardboard, and they ask you, the doctor, the therapist, asks you what you see in those ink blotches, those shapes, what, what does it make out to you? You're and you tell them what you see. But basically the whole thing is you see what you want to see. <laughs> it's just an ink block. It's nothing. But well, if you see a rabbit, that's something. You're projecting that. I mean, when I go to the eye doctor and they do those stupid, stupid color blotch things. That's not the same thing. <laughs> no, listen. But when she does it, I usually just stare at her because I'm like, what, do you, what am I supposed to tell you is here? <laughs> she stares at me for a minute. She's like, what do you see? Color? Like, <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? Yeah, the next, the next time you uh, meet with your uh, therapist, ask about it. He'll tell you that. Oh, that maybe, sounds... he'll, maybe he'll make you do it. Absolutely not. First of all, our meetings are virtual. So if he pulls out a block and thinks I'm looking at that through a fuzzy Zoom meeting, it's not happening. Um, but yeah, it's like... I say this just because, you know, it's, you have to be like able to kind of analyze things for yourself because also you have people who will tell you certain things and you don't accept it or you may not see it the same way because you're like, the toxic level that you're dealing with isn't quite the same as what they dealt with or what you saw, what you've seen and other people. Because it's very easy to like, kind of like, tell other people how they should live their lives and what they should do. It's much more difficult to like self-evaluate what your issues are. I mean, I self-evaluate, and I can normally tell you 110 percent what my self, what my issues are. The problem is, do I choose to do something about it or not? <laughs> like I say, <laughs> you were there when they got to the stops, but you just decided you were going to keep sitting there. I mean, <laughs> end of the line, end of the line. I'm riding till the end. Back to home base. I don't know what's there, but we're gonna figure it out. The yard. <laughs> um I was gonna say something. I lost my train of thought. We started talking about the train again. <laughs> you lost your train of thought, okay. You the one brought up me not getting off the stop on the train anyway. Oh, what was I saying? Oh, poo. Well, <laughs> you think about it. <laughs> yeah, go on to the next thing. I'm sure it'll come back to me. Um, friendships, also relationships. Um, how do you feel about like how valuable are um, 
friendships to you? Do you feel like there's something there that you like crave or you need, or do you feel like it's just... So this is going to sound a little crazy. I need my friends, but I want significant others, if that makes sense. Because my friends, especially my best friend who passed away, uh, yesterday made three years since she had passed away. Um, she knew me to the point where I never had to explain anything. I could come to her house and sit on her couch. She could say what's wrong. And by the way I breathed before I responded was usually her answer as to what was wrong. She could usually tell me what was wrong. Because there would be some times where I would be so anxious and overwhelmed with a million and one things and I couldn't pinpoint just one thing. And she would tell me what the actual thing is I'm upset with and what the other thing is that triggered me, triggered me and why it triggered me. And then I'd sit there and be like, well, who asked you? <laughs> but like, okay. Um, my friends tend to know me better than I know me because I unfortunately suffer from the I gotta help everybody syndrome. And I don't know how to take care of myself. So I usually end up getting burnt out. And it usually takes my friends saying, if you don't sit down, your body's gonna sit you down. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, well, how can I still this? They're like, no, you need to sit down. That means you need to stop answering your phone. You need to just sit. You need to go a whole week and not focus on anybody but yourself. You can do that for a week. If those people didn't know you, what were they gonna do? And then I was like, oh. Well, then you have a point. She says that, but she doesn't listen. I listened to her. I just didn't listen to nobody else. Because <laughs> okay. first of all, with her, I didn't have much of a choice. Because she used to literally, my best friend, if I was having a bad time, she would literally kidnap me. My 21st birthday, um, I was in bed crying because every plan I had made fell through. It was raining on my birthday that year. I was upset. My mom had told me she didn't know if she was going to have money to take me to dinner. I was just like a whole bunch of upset because every plan I had made fell through. I something happened to my car. I ended up having to spend the money I saved up for my birthday on my car. I was just like 21st. For every year from the time I turned 18 till I was 24, I cried on my birthday. I'm talking boo-hoo sobbed until I made myself sick. Um, so this year, I was in my room crying to the point where I cried myself to sleep. Then my phone starts ringing, and my best friend was the only person I had marked in my phone that she would ring through even if my phone was on silent. So my phone's ringing. I know it's her. So I answer it, and I'm like, what? She said, come outside. I'm like, what? I'm going back to sleep. She's like, come outside. And she's like, and I know you probably ain't got up all day today, so you need to get up and get a shower. I'll give you an extra 30 minutes for that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you're not outside. I get up and walk to the window. She sure enough is sitting outside, mm -hmm. <laughs> right in front of my door. And I'm like, um, well, I guess I got to get in the shower now. <laughs> I was planning on going to sleep, but I guess not. So she would literally kidnap me, take me. She's the one that took me to get my very first tattoo. She kidnapped me and took me to get a tattoo. Great time. <laughs> uh, then my birthday after that is when she took me to the city. Yes, that's when she took me to the city for my birthday. We went to NYC. She took me to the Sex Museum and the Tim Burton's uh, Beetlejuice Bar. 
And we went somewhere else. I don't remember. Oh, we went to this Alice in Wonderland pop-up thing. It was really pretty. I still have the pictures from that. Um, I say all that to say, my best friend knew me better than anyone. She even knew me better than Dude. Dude now knows me better than anyone because he, you know, has gotten there now from her passing away and then his dad passing away and us getting really close. But I need my friends but want my man around. So, like, I can do without a significant other. I'm single right now. I'm perfectly fine. But, like, if my friends were to disappear, even though I'd be disappearing on them, if they were to disappear, I would know what to do with myself. <laughs> because... Unfortunately, because of my depression, I tend to, you know, which everybody knows, your depression takes over and makes you feel like you're alone and you have no one. So when I start feeling that way, even though I know if I pick up my phone and I call one of my adopted moms or I call one of my adopted sisters or one of my friends or anyone like that, they'll be there for me. I'm still afraid to do it. I'm still sitting there, and then like that voice that's back there is like, they're not going to answer. Why are you even going to bother? Don't do it. And I'm like, okay. But like, I feel really lonely, and like life seems really, really weird right now, and I kind of need help. And that voice is like, don't do it. You just need me. That's how I end up isolating for like seven months, not leaving my house, and all I've done is maybe go to work. And that's maybe. If I'm at work, I most likely don't remember. I was literally zombieing all day. So, but then there's a toxic side to that because that was something I also went through with my best friend when we first became friends. Because when we first became friends, I had just ended a friendship with someone who I had known since I was in sixth grade. Her and I were close. I mean, that girl and I were so close. I used to take the late bus to her house after school she used to take, I used to take, she used to take the late bus to my house after school. Um, we literally were always together. Like, we were never not together. There ended up being this thing at school, you know, like, kids start feeling themselves. They start wanting to hang with the popular group. I wasn't a part of the popular group. I was considered one of the weird kids. So she uh, essentially started hanging with those other people. And I'm not one of those people that is gonna tell you you can't be friends with this person, you can't be friends with that person. That's your life, do what you wanna do. I don't care. Leave me, I, I, all I wanna know is you wanna go eat it's ice cream. It's problematic to do that anyway. It very much is. Yeah. I'm like, I don't care, do you wanna go eat ice cream in line? Like, I don't care what you do. I, I just asked you if you wanna go get ice cream. If you don't wanna go get ice cream, fine. I'm gonna go get ice cream by myself, whatever. Um, but she, started to side with them and she would talk junk about me with them mm. and she would think I couldn't hear her. Um, and one day this group chat went out overnight while I was sleeping and I woke up the next day and it was me with all these numbers I didn't know and hers and they were all calling me a black gorilla, telling me I was ugly, telling me that um, there's no way I was born a girl because that was when that whole thing about Sierra being a hermaphrodite was out. That's what they were saying about me. And then um, I woke up, and the crazy part is she lived in the neighborhood right next to me, and I used to walk to her house all the time. Because in this time, over the time of our friendship, she had moved from where she lived when I was taking the bus to her house to the neighborhood right next to me, because that's where her grandmother lived. I used to walk to her house constantly. So this morning, it was a Saturday morning when I woke up. I remember I woke up, read that, and I started getting dressed. 
And my mom comes downstairs, because my mom usually always woke up around 8 a.m. on the weekend. And this was around the time I was getting up, and she saw I was getting dressed. And we had somewhere to go that day, but we didn't have nowhere to go till 12 in the afternoon. She usually didn't make us start getting ready till about two hours before we had to go somewhere. So she's wondering what I'm doing. And I said, I'm going to fight her. <laughs> my mom goes, who? I'm like, I'm going to fight her. <laughs> she's like, why? So I showed my mom my phone, and she's like, Rihanna, you're not going nowhere. Mind you, by the time her and I have this conversation, we're having this conversation as I am walking out the house. I have made it outside at this point. She comes outside, she's like, you're not going to fight her, let it go, let it go. I'm like, I'm not letting nothing go. So then she finally convinces me to come back in the house. Next, that Monday, she goes to the school. She was living up to her name, wreaking havoc in that office. And then, <laughs> and then after that, I stopped being her friend. Never spoke to her again after that. Never talked to her again after that. Never even acknowledged her existence again after that. Um, and then, ironically enough, when we were in high school, our senior year, we both did this program. There was a program you could do, it was, I forget what it was called. But instead of having another study hall, because I was a dork, um, and my high school also offered something called option two. So your junior and senior year, instead of taking gym class at school, you went to an outside gym that they had to approve of and they logged your time. You had to do 45 minutes for three days a week. So they would log your time and then you would bring that back in mm. um, to your teacher for that ran the option two thing. And instead of having to take regular gym, you could take extra classes and that would count as your gym class. So that's what I did and so then senior year, I ended up having all these study halls. Can so we I talk about gym? Uh, sorry, I don't want to cut it off, but. Gym? Why is gym so important? The obesity in America? No, I guess. but it's like, they've had, okay, so, so I'll let you get back to this. But my senior year, you know, I had already made my um, credit requirements by junior year. And then senior year, literally, I had gym, oh yeah, I had homeroom, I had um, gym, and I had an early lunch. That was my day. I didn't have to take English, I didn't have to take math, and then the rest of the day I went to vocational school for carpentry. They said I'd already had my requirements for every other subject I didn't have to take, but they still made me do gym, like why? Gym is, because the, if I remember correctly from the way they explained to us in school, in New Jersey, gym is broken down as a separate class. It doesn't do anything for you, like college-wise. Yeah. But it's something mandatory because kids have to do a certain amount of activities every week. Yeah, I understand but, the activity part of it, but I feel like there's something off about that. Like the fact that I didn't have to do math or English, but they well, made yeah, sure because, that because I ran back and forth 20 I times. I think an F is worth zero credits, D is one, C is two, B is three and A is four. And I think you need four credits to pass the year, but you only needed like like 12 credits of each subject, quote unquote, to graduate high school. Because literally my senior year, most of the kids I went to school with, the ones that weren't going to college, they didn't take the major classes senior year. They mostly took like filler classes. So Because we couldn't leave earlier than fourth period. So most of them took filler classes just to fill in the gap. Yeah. But after that, none of them were, there. School was pretty empty because I had to be there all day. My mom wasn't playing that going home early-ish. That's why I ended up, the class I was talking about, 
Um, it was this extra class where either you worked in the front office with the office okay. staff or you worked in the nurse's office. I worked in the nurse's office. I worked in the nurse's office seventh period, and she worked there sixth period. That sounds like a better situation. Hmm? That sounds like a better situation anyway. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> you used to find out some school drama in there, <laughs> man. Let me tell you. By the time my 45 minutes in there used to be up, I used to know who was sleeping with who, who exposed who to what, who was passing around what around the school, who was pregnant, who dropped out. Like I knew information I didn't plan on knowing. I could have went my whole life without knowing these informations, but I ended up knowing them. Anyways. I don't know what everyone else's school nurse experience is, but my school nurse experience throughout all of school was basically if you went to the nurse, you either got a Band-Aid, an ice pack, or they called your house. Like that was it. She did I didn't. Else. I didn't go to the nurse very often. I. Um, how many times did I go in high school? I went my freshman year because what happened freshman year? Was that one? Freshman year was. Um, I don't know what happened to my body. My body just went kaput, and um, I had my cycle so heavy one time that no amount of whatever I had on was capturing anything. I had blood through my clothes by the time third period was over. So they made me go home. And I had to stay home until it lightened up to where I wasn't bleeding through my clothes. So you were repping Alabama. (laughs) Roll Tide. Yo, you're (laughs) Um, Sophomore year, did I ever go home? Sophomore year, I went to the nurse, but that was because uh, I got covered in mosquito bites because my gym teacher insisted on us going outside for gym and running the cross-country mile. Now, I don't know any of you who are outside of New Jersey. I don't know if you guys know what the cross-country mile is. Yeah, but for us, country. you essentially ran the block your school sat on. That's essentially what it equal to. So here in the burbs, we are in the suburbs down here. Our blocks are not city blocks. These blocks is mad long, mad wide, mad big. <laughs> You're outside running for a whole 45 minutes. It literally used to take us the whole gym class to make the whole lap to make it back. We ran cross-country practice when I was on the cross-country team through the cemetery. I ain't run, listen here, Thriller. I ain't <laughs> run through the cemetery. You know who Neptune High School is, right? It's the big brown, it's tan building, right? I feel like I've been there for stuff. Yeah, it's really big now. It wasn't then. But behind that, there's Neptune Middle School and there's the elementary school. There's a big hill. Like, you can see it from the main street. There's a mm-hmm. big hill. And there's a cemetery up on top of that hill. We had to run up that hill all through the cemetery and back down. That was cross-country practice. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, so that was sophomore year. I got covered in mosquito bites, and they had to put the calamine lotion on me. But it wasn't working. I was itching more when she put it on. It never works. So then I had to go home because I was itching to the point where I was bleeding now. So they made me go home. Junior year, what happened junior year? Why did I end up going Oh, that was a bad time. Um, junior year, what happened junior year? Was that when I, was that when I? I'm sorry, this is my fault, I diverted it. Yeah, you did. Um, now I'm got me thinking and stuff. Oh. oh, junior year was when I fell coming down the stairs at school and they thought I had shattered my knee because my knee just kept swelling. But it turns out I had just bruised it really bad, and it was just filling with fluid. So I had to go home. And then I had to wrap my leg with an ace bandage, which I don't know if you guys have ever tried wrapping a swollen anything with an ace bandage. 
I was in tears by the time my dad finished. I wanted to jump off a roof. But anyways, and then senior year, I had to go home because literally that year, uh, December 23rd, fell on a Friday. And as anybody knows, uh, we have winter break. So usually you don't come back till like the day after New Year's or two days after New Year's, the that following January. I went to the, I was working, this is when I was working the program, the nurse's office, and I'm sitting in there and all of a sudden the room started spinning. And I was like, okay, I don't feel good. And then my body got really, 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 really hot. And I was like, I really don't feel good. And I had noticed throughout the day as I was breathing, I was wheezing, but I, I didn't pay any attention to it and I didn't have asthma. So I didn't understand why I was wheezing. I get to the nurse's office. My best friend also worked in the nurse's office. She took my temperature. My temperature was 103.2. She proceeded to grab my cell phone, called my dad because my dad was the only one that could come get me because he hadn't gone to work yet. He goes to work at three. Around this time, it was like 12. So he had to come get me, took me to the doctor's office. They stuck, first of all, no one ever told me how they test for the flu or how they test for bronchitis. Ghetto as all get out, okay? Um, I'm sitting there, and the lady comes in with this long cotton swab, and I'm talking to her, and she's like, well, what else are you feeling besides uh, the wheezing you said? We kind of heard that, and then I said, well, I keep coughing. I said, and my head's spinning, and I just feel really, really hot, but I'm, like, cold. She said, oh, well, we're going to test you for the flu. I said, okay. So I sit up because I'm thinking she's going to, like, check my throat with the tongue depressor. No, she shoves the cotton swab up my nose. I thought she was trying to swirl my brains up and pull them out. And then I'm sitting there and I'm staring at her. And she's like, you've never been tested for the flu before? Obviously not. And you don't warn people before you do this? You just shove stuff up people's noses? What is this? Well, there's a bunch of people listening. I don't feel sorry for you now, post-COVID. <laughs> post-COVID? No. Pre-COVID? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. Get toe. We're talking, this is 2014 we're talking here, guys. This was way before COVID. Um, and then that was it. That was, I never really went home from school though. That was a very rare occasion. I used to be kept home from school. Like my mom kept me home the entire last week of school, uh, seventh grade, because there was no AC in my school. I suffered from heat exhaustion. Her exact words were, I'm not leaving work every day to pick your black behind up because you done passed out. So I missed the whole last week of school. Nobody signed my yearbook. My yearbook is blank. <laughs> oh, you know what? No one signed my yearbook because my mother, my mother couldn't. Okay, so we had, you know, we had, um, there was like a middle school yearbook and then there was a high school yearbook. Nobody signed either one of them because middle school, my mother or my grandmother weren't giving me money for the yearbook. But my grandmother, since she worked at the school, she was like, oh, I'll get you a yearbook. So basically, at the end of the year, the ones that were left over, they were going to throw out. So she got me one of those. So I got a yearbook, but it was like two weeks after school. So of course, I had no signatures. So to make, to make up for the fact that I was sad that I didn't have any signatures, she seriously took the yearbook, passed it around to my cousins, and had them sign the yearbook. I know we've discussed my facial expressions before, but right now. <laughs> yeah, this is my, my life. Are you okay? Are you sure you're 
no therapy? I'm not going to be mad at you if you do because I know I need therapy because I'm not okay. <laughs> High school, I had no friends and I didn't really associate with anybody. Um, so that's why nobody signed that yearbook. Um, like literally, I, well, I told you I only had like two actual classes and then I went to vocational. Well, you so, were in, but you were also a Jehovah's Witness at the time, weren't you? Yeah, but that wasn't the reason. I just didn't. You just didn't know my Well, son. I went away. Did we talk about this? We don't know. So. Clearly we didn't, if I don't remember. <laughs> my, my freshman year, freshman year of high school, I was in English class. And I had this English teacher. Um, so she had this assignment, and she told us all that she wanted us to write, um, get some paper, and write down where we thought we would be 20 years from that point. Where would you, where would you be 20 years from now? So people started writing, and I sat there and kind of stared up at the ceiling. So I guess she got agitated because I wasn't writing yet. And she said, did you hear the assignment? I said, yes. She said, well, why aren't you doing it? And I said, it's difficult for me. I said, how do you even know you're going to be alive 20 years from now? She put down, she had like this book in her hand, this notebook. She put it down like forcefully onto, the t onto her desk. And she said, go to the principal's office now. And I'm like confused. I'm like, what do you mean? She said, go to the principal's office. So I got up and I walked to the principal's office. And I'm sitting there in the principal's office, not knowing why I'm there, wondering what's going on. She comes in. She goes into the principal's office. She's in there for another 10, 15 minutes or whatever. Then the door opens up. And then the principal says, your mother's on the way or whatever. And I'm still thinking, what is going on? So my mother gets down there. She's asking what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Next thing I know, we're sitting in the principal's office, me, my mother, the principal, and this English teacher. They really called your mama for this mess. Now, huh? They really called your mama for this mess. Wait a minute, though. Mama was listen to this. Up listen to this. No, she was upset, but she didn't understand what's going on. But listen to this. So I can give you a full picture. At this time, I was maybe freshman year. I was maybe five foot four like 150 pounds. My English teacher, this is important, just for the visual, was 6'2", at least 300 pounds, right? White woman. And she's sitting there on the other end of the uh, principal's um, desk with instantaneously tears in her eyes and giving this explanation of what happened in the classroom, saying that I directly threatened her life, saying that she's not going to be alive in 20 years. Please tell me you told that officer. So, well, my mother went off, and this went back and forth. But this whole thing ended with me, because of the statement and these white woman tears, being sent to an alternative high school one month before the end of freshman year in high school. I had never been suspended. I wasn't getting bad grades, like nothing. And I went to this alternative high school with kids who basically really just, 
I'm not going to talk. Some of the kids were there for bad reasons too, but a lot of them were there because they just didn't want to do anything and they were very just disruptive. This wasn't me at that time. And I got sent there. So I went there and I'm dealing with this and my grandmother, because I was just angry and I just didn't want to be there and I didn't want to do anything. My grandmother was like, well, you know, you have to, you should prove you should prove them wrong, show them, like, just go there, put your full, your full effort blah, and all this stuff. I wasn't really hearing it at the time, not with that month left. But my sophomore year, my grandmother um, passed away, and I didn't really know how to process that and what to do with it. But the last real conversation we had was her telling me to prove these people wrong and to just, you know, fully apply myself and just show them or whatever. She said this, she said, you know. Yeah, so um, one thing I should mention though is I have this thing where through the entire duration of me being in school, I never, you know how you hear the thing where like, oh, well, so-and-so just needs to fully, you know, apply themselves. That comment to me always pisses me off, but yes, I, I understand. Well, I never fully applied myself. So what I did was I found out earlier on because, like, in grade school, you like, do enough to get by. In grade, yeah, in grade school, I did enough to get honor roll, high honor roll, all of that stuff, and I was just a student. I could be an A student. I figured out that I didn't have that. I could give thirty percent, some maybe forty sometimes, and get an A. So what was the point of doing anything extra, right? So that's how I looked at it. Plus, I really, really wasn't interested in a lot of the stuff. It felt like I had my own interests, and they weren't things that were being taught to me. I felt like I was just kind of going through the motions of things. However, when I got to high school, then it was like, um, when I got there to that alternative school, at that point, I was just like, I was over everything. I didn't even want to put it in the 30. But then my grandmother um, passed and I thought about the conversation. I'm like, you know what, let me just, I kind of, was. it was frustration. It was not knowing to, what to do with myself, like in that moment, how to process things. And it was some anger. So I just said, okay, fine. So I went in there and I put, more effort in. Now, it still wasn't 100% effort, because to be honest, I found it very easy. But I'm like, okay, fine. You know, the teacher wants me to, in English class, you know, she wants us to memorize two pages of one of these poems or whatever. Okay, so I decided it. I like Edgar Allan Poe, so Same. I memorized the entirety of The Raven and recited it in front of the whole class. So I said, okay, I'll do 10 times what you just asked me to do, basically. Even though still it didn't take that much effort from me. But I just did that. And then at the end of that year, the sophomore year, um, we had an award ceremony and I got student of the year. And I felt like she would have been happy with that. And the next year I got that and I got a presidential achievement award thing from um, Bill Clinton, who was the president at the time. 
Um, but I still wasn't really like invested. It was more just a spite thing almost. So then when they asked me <laughs> junior year, um, they wanted, well, at the end of um, soft, I'm sorry. Yeah, so before junior year started, at the end of that first sophomore year, they asked me, they said, you know, you can come back. They sent me a letter. It was like two weeks after the year it ended. And they sent a letter saying I could return to the high school. And <laughs> I, it was like I had a, like I think a two week period of time to like call them back and let them, you know, I called them like the very next day and nobody was there. So then I left a voicemail, I remember this. Um, I started leaving a voicemail and I'm like, no, nah, I wanna say this in person. So I just, I hung up on the voicemail halfway in. And then like later on, like I ended up going down and I, the principal wasn't there, the vice principal was. And I just wanted to say it in person, I said, okay, so I got your letter. And like, oh yeah, so we think it's time for you to, you know, you come back and join, you know, your classmates and everything. We, we think, you know, that, that this situation benefited you and, and all these other things. And I said, okay. I said, well, I just wanted to come and tell you that, uh, yeah, that's a no. I don't want to come back. I'm good. So, like, I literally just walked down there to look the vice principal in the face well, and just say no, because I just felt like that's how I felt about the situation. Like, I don't want anything to do with you guys in this school. So I went back for my junior year, even though I didn't have to, and just did it. Senior year, I ended up going back to the high school only because I knew my mom wanted, you know, to see me graduate and everything. If I would have stayed at the alternative school, it wouldn't have been like an actual graduation ceremony and stuff, you know. It was a very small thing. It would have been just some parents hanging out in this little room. So I went back senior year just for that, so she can see me at Ocean Grove Auditorium and all the other stuff. And um, I did that. But I was already disconnected from the high school situation, high school experience. So all senior year, part of honestly me doing vocational and pick, you know, was just me like, okay, well this is something I can do. They're not gonna let me leave too early from school so I can do this and leave half the day, whatever because I didn't want to deal with any of the people there, I didn't care about the administration there, I didn't want anything to do with anybody there. So that's basically fast forward to me getting my yearbook why I had no signatures from anybody because I didn't talk to anybody. It's like if I did talk to people, it was just kind of a being cordial type of thing, which is funny because like to this day, I run into people all the time and people remember me, people come up to me, oh, and they're like talking to me like, how, how you been and everything else. And you would think we were like really close friends in high school. But half these people, I don't even remember their names. Like I had no, you talked about like, I, you, so like the table situation for instance in school. Um, even when I was there for like freshman year, so I, I had friends or people who considered me friends or people that would have like, hey, you know, wave you over to the table. But I would still choose to just sit by myself. Like I was not part of any group. I made it. So a point no one ever tried to defend you when the situation happened? Well, my mother, she you know, she flipped out, but it didn't go anywhere. She just like it, they ended up 
they ended up calling the officer that was there because we had an officer that was there constantly at the school and he had to, he knew my grandmother, he knew her, so he's basically just trying to like keep her away from completely just attacking her because that's what she was trying to do at this point. <laughs> but that was the extent of it. They didn't want to hear anything. So verbally, you could say all you wanted. They had already made up their mind that what she said, you know, that's what happened. And that was it. Even though many of my classmates said that they were asked later on what happened, and they said basically that I was just asking a question, and that was seemingly just ignored. They just, the teacher's word against mine, and they just took her word, and that was it. So even in this predominantly black school, white woman tears trumps all. Um, you old bitty, if you listening to this, if you even still alive, with your raisin looking self, I'm sure that's what you look like. I bet you mad now, because you're probably doing better than your old wrinkly self. You're probably somewhere one cough away from the coffin. You over here messing with people. You know what? I usually don't say people's names and all of that stuff out there, but I want all of the smoke, and I'm just going to say her name is Mrs. Lyons, and she was an English teacher at Neptune High School. Um, no, no, the smoke. Yeah. <laughs> so dropping names. if anybody knows her, if you're a relative of her, you can come see me. Come see about me. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, so I, I can't believe I didn't say that before on here. But um, you never told me at all. <laughs> yeah, so that's the whole thing with the yearbook situation and the friends. So, but off of what you were saying, so I can wrap this up. It's been going on. Um, I'm in a weird space. <laughs> so, um, like, it's weird. I don't feel like I... I don't feel like I need anybody, but at the same time, um, it's nice to have, like I've found value in fr certain friendships that I've had. It's just that all the friendships that I have haven't really, I've, I guess like with the whole relationship thing, picking the wrong person to be in a relationship with, that also bleeds over into friendships where I wasn't picking people who were necessarily worthy friends. And I put up with a lot of stuff with friendships, just like with relationships. So I will excuse away a lot of things. You can treat me badly, or you can do certain things. You're not attentive enough. You're not there for certain important things, even though I'm there for you. And I just kind of excuse it away and let it go, just like with relationships. I was going to ask something, but. What? So. How do I word this? That it makes sense. Because I can, I know, I see it in my head, but now I'm trying to get it to come out and it ain't making words. Um, our friendship, for example, did you ever see it coming? No. <laughs> Me either. Glad <laughs> I'm the same thing here. <laughs> I just knew Pops kept saying, oh, my son's going to be joining the church, and he's going to help you with the sound ministry. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you said about the last, like, 15 people that came up in here. <laughs> but you still here? Like, a year and some change later, so? <laughs> well, when I actually say that I'm going to do something, I do it 
which is why I kind of avoid directly saying sometimes that I'm going to do something. I'll say, well, I'll see. Or I'll, you know, I'll try. But if I say that I'm going to do something, then I always do it. So at that point, when me saying, yeah, I was going to help out, I'm sure he was certain that I was going to help out. Even if he wasn't so much with the other people. <laughs> I mean, you're probably like the best partner I've had, so. We still need um, to build a fortress, though. I mean, what we could do, we could do like children and make a blanket tent and you can't come in the castle or I'm going to have to make an executive decision and shove you off. <laughs> you will be on <laughs> Exile Island if you come up in the fortress. I don't know. Have we mentioned that before to these people? That So we're a part of the sound ministry, communications, media, whatever you want to call it at the church. Basically, if it involves projection of voices or um, editing or posting of any footage on any site. We are in charge of that, <laughs> visual and audio. Um, and we are, um, yeah, in charge of a lot of different things. I don't know if we've mentioned that before, but that's how this whole situation started from there. And I'm surprised he's still my friend because I'm kind of annoying according to people. I'm shocked he's still around. <laughs> well, as I mentioned before, like I just kind of let things go a lot. Sometimes in a, to my detriment, though. <laughs> I mean, though, but like, truthfully, when Jay and I started doing the sound ministry, we didn't talk that often other than church on Sunday. <laughs> and then he would text me and ask if I was coming to church. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm coming to church. Or I would text him, are you coming to church? Yeah, I'm coming to church. And then like, in the last couple of months, it went from rarely ever talking to each other to now we text each other every single day, all day until one of us falls asleep, which is usually me. <laughs> yeah. You know what it is, though? <laughs> It's um, <laughs> bonding through trauma. <laughs> trauma bonding part two. <laughs> we need to do an episode on trauma bonding because you and I are pros at that at this point. <laughs> um, we talked about this before with you and dude, but our friendship is kind of like somewhat. If it, first of all, if you have ever worked in any, if you've ever been worked done things at the church in one of the ministries, you know, if you were within whatever it is, if it's choir, if it's um, sound ministry, if it's whatever, you have experiences that other people who are not within those ministries cannot relate to. So you end up having conversations with each other because it would take too much explaining to have this conversation with someone else. And then eventually those conversations lead to outside conversations and then the next thing you know, you're, you're friends. That's kind of what happened in that situation. But it started off with, I need to rant and complain and I have nobody else to <laughs> rant and complain to because they're gonna look at me like I'm crazy and they don't understand that I can't just, you know, come up with this like magical presentation with the flick of one switch and instantaneously that you just told me about 10 minutes ago and service started five minutes ago. Like, it's just, yeah. And sometimes we have full-blown conversations with just facial expressions. 
That's funny. Because we know what's happening, but no one else in the mix knows what's happening. <laughs> there was one day when I came in and I asked, <laughs> I asked Jay how she was doing. And she just gave me this like side eye. And then I just said, okay. And I said nothing else to her. <laughs> and then later on, she was like, thanks, because I wasn't ready to talk about it now. But I knew that she didn't want it. I knew something was going on. I knew it was bad. And I knew that she didn't want to talk about it just from a three-second glance. <laughs> All of that information was important. <laughs> All information exchanged without a word, not a breath spent. <laughs> yeah, but... It's just like that. It's funny, but um, so that's pretty much what happened there. But I think but, it's just. But that's the thing. I wasn't looking for any friendships. I was just here to do my thing. But that's what happens. Sometimes you fall into um, situations of friendships and stuff. And I. But I'm the type of person where like I put a lot. If I am, I may not always be going out after the friendships like I was earlier on when I was young and just I felt like I needed a lot of stuff. But if I do find myself in a friendship, then I'm committed to putting as much as I can into it. The problem just comes in when you are friends with someone who is okay with taking all that energy but then doesn't want to put forth any of their own. That's when it becomes toxic and problematic. Because I, I, I mean, I would say, I think Jay and I give fairly even amounts of effort. Yeah. I do be forgetting about him sometimes, though. It's never intentional. <laughs> like, today, he definitely texted me at, like, 1030 this morning, and I totally forgot about him. And I was, it was, like, three hours later. <laughs> it's not my fault, though. Work was... I don't even know what work was today. Like, if you could take crazy and put it in a somewhere, that was what my job was today. I don't know what's wrong with people. I, I don't be understanding. Yeah, speaking of work, I got to, uh, after this, call my boss back because he sent me, like, eight text messages. I'm not ignoring you. Um, if you are listening to this, I just wanted to finish the podcast, but I will give you a call back. Yeah, and... Never mind, I can't say that. That's your boss. I was going to say something and then I forget you. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> because you know me. I have no filter. I just say what comes to this big old brain. <laughs> There's no telling what will come out. It's like playing Russian roulette, but with words. Instead of bullets, you're getting words. <laughs> so, is there anything else you want to say in terms of Relationships? Relationships, friendships, anything else before we... Uh, the same thing I said at the end of part one. Relationships are hard work. If you're not ready to put in the work, you don't need to be in one. But they should not be so hard to where they drain you. You're supposed to take something positive or negative from each relationship. But at the, bottom of the, at the end of the day, bottom line, you should be learning from any ones that you had to end or move on from or distance yourself from. I know when to say when. Yep. If I, it's I, not I, working, don't be afraid to just move on. 
Yeah, I'm not good at that. I wish I was good at that, but I'm not. I'm not good with that either. That's why I'm giving this advice because so many just situations where I should have just moved on. Relationships and friendships. Um, you know, I actually forgave um, infidelity in a relationship seven times before I actually just ended it. Pause. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Me and you back that car up. Okay? <laughs> you done ran past like six red lights. <laughs> now, you talking about me with red flags. This is why I give you this advice about red flags because, ma'am, I have already ran this race several <laughs> times. I know where all the Quite flags literally are. several times. <laughs> I know where all the stop markers are. <laughs> Listen, all I'm saying I is. I see all the hazards. Um... How do I say this? Because I know there's going to be some women like, I'm not excusing that. I, before I start, I am not giving an excuse. I am not saying it's okay. I, listen, I'm a Libra. I tend to speak for the other side. I'm, I tend to play devil's advocate a lot. I'm just, I like to make people think before you start making brash decisions. That's what I like to do. Okay. I'm that friend. I'm going to sit there, and you're going to complain and flip off your rocker. And I'm going to turn around and be like, well, what if he feels like X, Y, Z? And then you're going to sit there and stare at me like I'm dumb. And then five minutes later, you're going to come back to me. I think you're right. So anyways, when people cheat, which I've come to realize from, granted, I've only been in one relationship, but um, there was <laughs> some issues with infidelity in that relationship. Um, you have had the toxicity of... Several people within this one relationship. <laughs> sure have. I mean, from 17 to not where he just turned 26, I am 26, I'll be 27. So there's a lot of growth that went there. I believe that you become a different person. Every time you grow, you become a different person. So that's why I think when people get married, and I have this conversation a lot with people, and they're like, I hear so dramatic. When you get married to someone and you're saying, I do, and you're agreeing to love this person forever. <coughs> I believe it should be, are you gonna love these people forever? Because that person you're marrying is not gonna be the same person in five years, or at least they shouldn't be. It's not gonna be the same person in 10 years. Not gonna be the same person in 15, 20, 25, 30. People grow and they evolve and they learn new things, they change their mindset. The same thing that they used to do that you used to hate, maybe in five years they'll stop doing it because they realize they can't stand it. But by this point, you've accepted it as one of their quirks, but now they can't stand doing it. They don't do it anymore. Or something that you really, really liked about them, and they realize they don't really like it anymore, so they stop doing it, and now you're wondering why they're not doing it, and you're starting to get annoyed because they don't want to do that thing with you anymore. It's because people don't really pay attention to vows. People, it says in most traditional wedding vows, for better or worse. Mm -hmm. People hear the better, but first of all, the better doesn't even need to be included in there because who's going to not go out with someone when things get better? Right. But people don't gloss over the worst. They don't really want to focus on the worst. The worst could be a lot of things. And I'm not saying that the worst is you getting dogged out 32 times by Tommy and taking Tommy back all 32 times, and then when he does it a 33rd, you want a melodrama melt and take him back the 33rd time. That's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm saying sometimes the worst for people can just be something as simple as they chose another career path. Right. And then that's the deal breaker for you. I can't do this anymore. Which I think is a little dramatic, but I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I'm, what I'm saying is, now, I want everybody to hear me clearly. Cheating is wrong, no matter what the excuse is, what the reason is. But, devil's advocate. Not, again, I'm not saying this is right. But what I've noticed when people start to cheat, I'm not talking about serial cheaters. The ones that just hold hoes and cannot control themselves if it were to save their life. Someone could this have a gun This person was a serial cheater. You who I'm talking about then. Go Anyways, I'm talking about that person. Y'all done been together like 20 some odd years. Never, never once even moved wrong outside of the normal ups and downs, maybe financial issues or a disagreement on something with the children or with the house or with the bills or so, something simple. You guys have been all this time and you know this person's been faithful to you. They've never stepped on you ever and they step out this one time. But you focus on that, but you didn't focus on the, the fighting y'all been doing constantly. You didn't focus on the arguing you've been doing for the last like three straight years that y'all never even spoke about. Granted, again, Cheating is wrong, no matter, because ruining someone's outlook on love will always be messed up, no matter what excuse you give. I'm a firm believer, if you're not happy anymore, leave. Leave instead of cheating on that person. Just leave. Um, that goes both ways, um, which I think people don't realize, because again, I accepted it seven times. Now, it took a while for me to realize that this person was a serial cheater. I had to do some digging and found out that this is, stuff that went on in other relationships far before me, so this is a pattern. But when you forgive someone, you are still putting, you're making the decision to put yourself into a position where you can be trampled on again. Right. Now, you may believe the person is not going to do that, but you're still making a decision. You made a choice to stay in this situation so if it happens again, while no, you weren't the reason why they did it, you're not you know, controlling them and making them do it, you still Enabled made it. the decision to put yourself in the situation so you can't then say, okay, well, I can't believe this happened. What do you mean? It already happened to you. It's because I feel like when, when, when stuff like that is done and you stay, and especially... In relationships where y'all not even married, like you're just boyfriend and girlfriend, or you're just fiance and fiance. No, I promise you right now, if I was engaged to somebody, I don't care if we had been together 10 whole years before you put that ring on my finger asking me to be his. I'm not staying. I'm, if you cheat on me, granted, um, I have been cheated on and I did stay. I was gonna say. <laughs> Now that I'm older, I would have to look at the whole situation. Because I know sometimes I can own up to a woman enough to admit I have moments where I fly off the handle. I have moments where I do pretty messed up things out of anger, which I have worked on and I'm better at. I don't react out of anger anymore. I'll wait until I cool off to respond to a situation. But old Jay, 2021, 20, 19, 18, 17 year old Jay, when she got mad, Whatever she came to her mind is what she was doing. She didn't care about how you were going to feel, what it was going to make you think. 
what it was gonna do later down the line, how it was gonna make you feel, how it was gonna make you feel about me. I didn't care about any of that, because in my mind it was, I'm getting my lick back because you've done something to upset me. Question, to fast forward a little bit, you are on that train with three children now, and dude has lied to you, to your face, and cheated again. Are you still taking yourself and those three children off that cliff, or are you out? No, that was what I was getting there. <laughs> Now, if there are children involved, um, as the child of a toxic relationship, I don't believe in trying to make it work for the kids. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in keeping that person around to put on the, the facade of, oh, both parents are in the home. Your kids will appreciate it more when you guys make that decision to cut things off and just co-parent more than they will appreciate waking up to you guys screaming at each other at 2 o'clock in the morning or arguing, or calling each other out your names because you're angry with each other, or you haven't seen your parent in weeks because they're off fadingling with whoever else they want to sleep with at the moment. Please make a note of that. We can have an episode about co-parenting because I could talk for like five hours on that. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> but I don't think that oh, cheating is bad. But you have to look at the reasons behind it. I know someone personally who he never cheated. The whole time they had been, he had cheated before they got married, but after they got married, never cheated. After his mom passed away, he just flipped off the handle. Yeah. Became a whole new person, was out every night, moving like he was single, like he hadn't been married for umpteen odd years. Like he was just moving different. And I'm not saying that it's right, and I'm not saying that his wife was wrong, because she wasn't, because all she did was try to love on him, and instead of him opening up and saying what he was feeling, he just took it upon himself to solve his pain however he best knew how. But... There's always a cause and effect. Right, yes. So there's something is always triggered by something. Like, for instance, dude, in my case, the problems we had were always triggered by something. Like, when things were going good, something would always happen right before the problem started. And it would either be on my end or his end, but the problem was we never discussed it with each other. Whatever was bothering us, we would just start taking it out on the other one. Instead of just saying, hey, I'm going through this, I just need my space, but just tell me you'll be there when I need you, we would take it out on each other because we wanted to be left alone. So we're trying to push that person away, causing an unnecessary argument, unnecessary battle, for God knows what reason, instead of just saying to each other, hey, I'm not having, it's not a good one right now. I feel like if people would communicate, like I tell people all the time, communication is key. Whether it's an occupational relationship, romantic, platonic, familial, whatever kind of relationship it is, communication is key. All you have to do is tell that, you don't even have to go into detail. That person comes home, your significant other comes home, and they're all excited because they had a good day and you had a bad one. Be like, babe, look, I had a bad day today. I don't want to kill your excitement. So I'm going to go to another room. And when I'm OK again, I'll come back out, and you can tell me all about it. We need to break that down for a second, though, real quick, because I feel like a lot of people misunderstand what communication is. Communication is not just fully expressing yourself and saying what's on your mind. Communication is talking and listening. 
-hmm. It goes both ways. It's not just you get to get everything off your chest and then that's it. They should be listening to you, but you should also be listening to them. It has to go back and forth. Otherwise, it's not actually communication. You, I um, was helping one of my friends because she was having a relationship problem. And I said to her, I said, what you need to do is you need to sit down and ask him two questions. You need to ask him, what do I do that makes the relationship hard? And what is something I used to do that I don't do now that would make the relationship better? And at first she was arguing with me and I was like, now this is why you can't ask him that question right now because you're going to flip off the handle when he responds. But when he asks, when you ask him those things, you have to sit there and be humble enough and truthful enough within yourself to accept whatever he says. And whatever he says might hurt you. It might hurt you bad. It might hurt you bad than this whole situation put together. But you have to be willing to hear what he's got to say to fix it. And I think that's a lot of problems with women and specifically black women in general. We're so used to having to protect ourselves because there's no one to protect us that when men are genuinely trying to love us and they don't want to do bad by us, they genuinely want to do good by us, we don't know how to accept that. So in response, we do the nitpicky things, like accusing them of cheating all the time. They're not even cheating. They, dude could have literally probably drived, drove to his friend's house before he got home from work just to say hi to his boys because they were all at the house, stayed for maybe 30 minutes and came home back to you because he'd rather be spending time with you and now you're accusing him of cheating because he made a 30 minute pit stop. It took him 30 minutes longer than normal to get home. Like that is, like I used to be that person with my friends. Like they would tell me one thing and then like that thing didn't happen. I'd be like, okay, and I'd be grilling them. Nobody owes you anything. And I think that's, that's the problem with my generation specifically. We think that people owe us things. Nobody owes you anything. Now people can, you know, you can earn something from someone. Like if you give respect, you can earn respect. I feel like respect is earned, not given anyway. So if you earn respect from me, hopefully I've earned respect from you. If I'm respecting you, I feel like that is earning respect for me. But I don't think that people understand that until you communicate clearly with that person you're with in a relationship, that relationship is never gonna go smoothly. Even it's like, it, like I just said, something as simple as you're having a bad day, you don't wanna talk right now. Tell that person that. Don't sit there and have a thousand and one attitudes Talking about some, you should know how I am by now. You should be able to read me. Nobody's a mind reader, babes. Sorry to tell you. Yeah. Like, also, yeah, and if you want to talk about something, say that I want to talk about something. When that person asks you what's wrong, don't say nothing. I hate that. That pisses me off. Don't don't come around me sulking and I say what's wrong with you. Nothing. I'm going to walk away from you because I don't want to have to assault you. But I may come back and verbally assault you later if you still got that attitude and still don't want to tell me what's wrong. Like, I don't, like I've told you guys before, I, I used to be that person. I would grab major attitude and I would expect everybody to know just because I had an attitude. I'm like, clearly in my, in my head, that's dead giveaway. I've got an attitude. Now through therapy and self-reflecting, I've gotten to the point where if I'm not in the mood, if you start bothering me, I'll say, hey, look, not in the mood. If you keep going after that, I may give you one more chance to say not in the mood. If you keep going after that, all the gloves are off. I tried to be nice to you and you kept pushing the button. Now the button's stuck. I don't know what to tell you. Whatever is coming after this is on you. I feel like I gave you two warnings. That was enough time. <laughs> so, I um, Yeah. Go ahead. 
I just, I don't think that um, this day and age when it comes to relationships that people understand that without proper communication, not only communication, the other C word, compromise. You, it's my way or the highway behind people. Jesus. You can't sit here, ladies especially, because there's a specific one I'm talking to. I ain't going to name no names, and I ain't going to put no identifying details because she be listening to our podcast. But I'm sure once I start talking, she's going to figure out who she is. And step to me if you want to, sunshine. I will air you out. Anyway. Um, you can't demand something from your partner that you're not willing to give them in return. You can't sit here and demand your partner caters to you, treat you like a queen, but you don't treat him like nothing but the dirt under your shoe. You can't do things like that. I never understood women who get nasty with their man because their man doesn't want to pay for their nails or pay for their hair. Did you pay for his haircut? Did you pay for him to go buy himself a new outfit just to go out with the boys? Did you buy him a new pair of sneakers? You know he's been talking about this one pair of sneakers for like three months. Did you decide to go and like surprise him? I can't stand that beyond, like now there's some men that'll do it just because they like doing it. They like pampering their girls. But I feel like every now and again, you should spoil your dude too. The spoiling should be going both ways. Like I, my love language to, the way I like to be shown love is quality time. The way I show my best love is by giving gifts. If I spend a lot of time with you, I can usually pick out A1 gifts for you without even trying. That has always been my strong suit in life. I can pick really good cards and really good gifts. So usually if I know you've been having a rough time or like you've been going through it, I may go to the store and pick you up like two or three things and like give them to you later when I see you. Or I'll say, hey, are you home? I'm gonna stop by just for a few minutes. And I'll stop by and hand you a bag and be like, I know you had a rough day, love you, see you later. Like I've always been that person. I make sure the people around me are okay. Especially if you're someone that I'm romantically interested in, I make sure you're good, always. Even if it's something that I can't help with, even if the only thing I can do is sit on the phone in silence while I listen to you vent for hours on end, I will do that to make sure that you have, some, you have a safe space, you have somewhere to go. I don't believe in that, like you know, you see it a lot on social media, the women that are very dismissive of their man and their feelings. Like men have feelings too. Men, sh first of all, your man should be able to come to you and sob if he wants to because you're his woman. You're supposed to be his safe space just like he's supposed to be yours. You, you two are supposed to be the place where each other goes to talk about any and everything. Don't open that, don't open that door. Because that's going to bring us into like a part three of this whole thing. <laughs> that's, that's like another two hour conversation. We've already been recording for three hours now. Three? <laughs> almost. It's almost eight o'clock now. Oh, no. Yeah, so we got to wrap this. Yes, we got to wrap it up. Anyways, what I'm saying is y'all need to get better at having healthier relationships, as do I. Because uh, red flags look green to me. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, a lot of self-evaluation um, and know your worth and don't be afraid to say what you want, mean what you say, and if it doesn't feel right, don't be afraid to leave. And know your worth and make sure that person knows your worth. Yes. 
All right. Well, that's the end of what, episode six now? Episode six. We're um, making it. We are not sure, again, <laughs> what's going to happen with this generations and parenting thing, but we will be back with a episode. Can't tell you which one that's going to be. We, but well, we've got some brainstorming to do. Yeah, definitely an episode next week. Yeah, we only have about um, eight topics left, so we have some brainstorming to do. And then we have to decide what we're going to end the season at and where we're going to start the next one. So... Just make yeah. sure you're keeping track here if you haven't listened stay to all the episodes. Stay subscribed and stay following Jay on all his socials because he'll be posting about it there. Y'all still can't see me yet because we still talking free Jay uh, because I still ain't got a new job yet. When I get a new job, y'all be able to see me. I can start posting my own stuff <laughs> once I get a new job. I just haven't gotten a new job yet. I'm working on it, okay? Your, home, your girl <laughs> trying to buy a house. I'm trying to start having kids. Like, it's, it's rough out here. But anyways. So on that note, we're <laughs> going to close this one off. And you've been listening to Real Life with Jay and John Jet. Cena, apparently, because you <laughs> can't see her. Later. You can't see her.